Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of So Are Married a Horror Fan. This is episode number 79. 79 Zs. 79. Uh, we hope everybody's having a wonderful time at the moment. Uh, I am Simon, one of your co-hosts, and this is... Lee. Um, and yeah, so we are still, still in the midst of a heat wave here in the UK. We are doing melting... Uh, it's been fun. It's actually not been too bad today, though. It's been all right. Uh, the day we're recording this, it's been nice and grey. Typical English weather. Uh, I am enjoying this evening with this podcast a nice glass of apple and raspberry sparkling water from Tesco. Hashtag no sponsorship. <laughs> um, since I've had to give up energy drinks, I've had to find like creative ways of like integrating some kind of drink into this podcast. Maybe I'll do that as a new segment, like... What is Simon drinking this week? Yeah. Um, well, I'm also quitting with you, so... Yeah. I just have my Pepsi Max, though, which is the same thing I always drink. <laughs> this stuff's really good, though. It's really refreshing. Solid. I'm drinking it out of a Tuborg glass, though, which feels like a relic from a different time. Um, I'm pretty sure one of the... Yeah, this Download Festival ticket I've got behind me on the wall. Uh, these two here were sponsored by Tuborg on the years when uh, Tuborg used to sponsor Download. Mm. Um, I'm alright. I'm right, this will mean absolutely fuck all to anyone that's not in England. But am I right in saying that Tuborg used to be like the go-to pint in Weatherspoons? Yeah. You know, if you went in there on like it was like two quid. It was yeah, so cheap. If you went in there on like curry and a pint night, or like burger and a pint night, oh, yeah, it was or always steak and a pint night. It's Carlin now, I think. Carlin is basically fucking the fluid that you pump into your car. Yeah. It's basically brake fluid. Um, Tuborg's a nice point though, and I'm really sad that a lot of places don't do it because it used to. I don't know. Have you ever? Did you ever buy it from a supermarket, or did you? Use it used to... to come with twist tops. Yeah, and ring pulls. Do you remember the bottles yeah. that have like the ring? It used to be like plastic bottles of like a ring. Yeah, pull yeah. Top. I used to buy them. So after on a night out, we'd stop at the garage on the way onto the island, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd buy like a six pack of Tuborg, and we'd walk from Haven onto Halen. Mm-hmm. And just drink more of terrible because they had the fucking pop tops. This glass I'm drinking out of, this is how not popular it is anymore. This glass I'm drinking out of is about, actually about 10 years old. I actually uh, stole this from the uh, Weatherspoons I used to work in. Fair. Uh, along with many other glasses yeah. that we have in It's a British pastime nicking glasses from pop My girls. nan robbed one once. Um, we went to a pub uh, in Palmerston Road. It's not there anymore. Um, but they had those really nice Stella glasses and my nan just like... Oh, the chalices. Yeah, my nan was like, oh, I'm a little old lady. It's fallen into my handbag. How did that get there? Uh, and then she just like, cool as a cute... Like, this is what makes me think that my nan has committed crimes because she walked out like, not phased at all. I always remember so recently we went to Brewdog in uh, Bournemouth. And, um, is Brewdog in America? Is it a worldwide brand or is it I a UK brand? I don't know. I know there's definitely... No, it is because there's a Brewdog hotel in New York, I think. Um, but we'd gone to Brewdog in Bournemouth and my mum was like, I'm going to steal the glasses. And I had like the third of a pint glass and my mum had a half pint glass. And I was like, mum, don't steal the glasses from Brewdog. There was, like, there was only like four people in there. I was like, they'll definitely see us do it. So my mum ended up actually physically buying some because you can go in there and you can buy like the chalice wine glass style ones they have. And the guy behind the counter was, we get, we literally was like, everybody steals them. Yeah. It's like we go through so many glasses. This is the thing, like, I think when I worked in Witherspoons, every time they would bring in, like, a new European beer, you would get, like, a case of glasses because 
the pour for the beer was supposed to fit the glass or some fucking bollocks like that. Yeah. It never fucking did. You could put any of those fucking pints into any pint glass and it would be fine. Um, like Aristotle, I remember, not Aristotle, when... Um, Amsel? No. It begins with an E. It was like a European, like... Estrella? No, like Eldammer or something. No, oh, Eldammer's a bit. Erd, Erd, Erdinger? Erdinger? Something, something along those lines. It was a stupid fucking blonde Belgian beer. And they had these, like, fucking fancy glasses for them. And 70% of our stock ended up in the flat that was attached to the pub. Because there was a flat attached to the pub I worked in and one of the managers lived in it. So he would host parties for the staff and he would just go and take glasses from the pub. And then we would wonder where all of the fucking glasses <laughs> had fucking gone. Um, and they went up in the flat. Uh, or in my house. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember we had a party at our house once and everybody from the pub just brought their own glasses. Fair. And no one ever took them home. Fair enough. Okay, that's enough to talk about pub glasses. Because yeah. five minutes of the podcast is <laughs> going to so... so, Somebody's going to be on Spotify being like, have I like accidentally clicked on a real ale podcast? <laughs> yeah, Definitely maybe, maybe I should start my own pub podcast, Sipping with Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Um, yeah, so today we are covering the 2018 horror comedy from... 2019, sorry, horror comedy from Chelsea Stardust entitled Satanic Panic. We are indeed. So as Simon said, it's... <sighs> it's directed by Chelsea Stardust, who I don't think I've seen anything else she's ever done. No, all she's done prior to this is shorts. Fair enough. And then it was written by, and I'm going to fuck up one of their names without the I shadow of a doubt. Um, that's fine. I'll just fuck it up. So it's written by Grady Hendrix and Ted Gohagen. Gohagen? See, I want to say Gohagen. I did tweet him prior to this to ask him how to pronounce his surname. Gohagen? Might be Gohagen because yeah. G-E-O-G is normally like gay. Yeah, it was written by Grady Hendrix, but based on a story by both of them. Yes. Um, and cast-wise in this, we have another name I'm going to fuck up straight off the bat. Rebecca Romagen? Rebecca Romaine. Romaine. It's I like can, a salad. Or it's the, the way it's written down. Yeah. Like, I can never pronounce Is it. Is it the lettuce that's Romaine? Like a Romaine, yeah, Romaine lettuce. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. Uh, as Danica Ross. Arden Mirren as Gypsy Numia. <laughs> Weird surname. Uh, Hayley Griffiths as Griffith as Samantha Sam Craft. Ruby Modine as Judy Ross, AJ Bowen as Duncan, uh, Jordan Ladd as Kim Larson, Jeff Daniel Phillips as Steve Larson, Jerry O'Connell as Samuel Ross, we've got Hannah Stockin as Kirsten Larson, Whitney Moore as Michelle Larson, and then we also have mostly people who appear in it for like five seconds and then disappear, uh, but we do have Maya Perkins as Samaziel, and I think that's kind of it, I'm pretty sure everyone else just kind of, it's they're just other cult members. And Gerald, Jerry O'Connell. Oh, it was Danielle. I've said Dan. I've said Jerry O'Connell already. Uh, Gina Marie Hughes is Danielle as well. Big man Jerry O'Connell. There we go. Also, Danielle is married, apparently, because Aaron Napier Martin plays Danielle's husband. Fair enough. <laughs> I didn't realise Danielle had a husband. <clears throat> and I think that is it, really. Yeah. I do want to give a shout out to the Wolfmen on Mars, who are the composers behind this movie. They are yes. like a synthwave band, very similar to uh, Dance, Dance of the Dead. 
Yeah, sure. Dead. And synopsis for this movie is <coughs> a pizza delivery girl at the end of her financial rope has to fight for her life and her tips when her last order of the night turns out to be a high society how to be high society satanist in needs of a virgin sacrifice. Yes. Yeah, I mean that that is that is this movie. Yeah. That's pretty on point. I think before we talk about the actual movie itself, we should talk about the Grady Hendrix of it all. The Grady <coughs> Hendrix of it all. Um, obviously, he's the main screenwriter on this movie. So this movie was produced by Fangoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're listening to this, the chances are you know what Fangoria, Fangoria magazine is. For those of you that don't, if you're like new to the horror community or weren't around when Fangoria was around the first time, Fangoria was basically like the, the, horror, Bible. the horror magazine. Yeah. Um, like it was around in the early eighties. It had a resurgence. It's had a resurgence in the last ten years. Phil Noble Junior or Noble. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm very sorry. Um, he now is the editor of the magazine. Uh, he has a, like a hand in a lot of the Shudder productions, um, like a lot of the documentaries like Horror Noir and things like that. He was involved in. He was also on an episode of the Boulet Brothers in the mm-hmm. last season. Um, so they acquired the rights to this movie. Um, Grady Hendrix, for those of you that don't know, he's written a bunch of amazing books. We've mm-hmm. talked about him a lot on the podcast before. Uh, he wrote Horror Store, which is the Ikea horror movie. Book. Uh, book, sorry. He wrote uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism, which I'm currently reading at the moment. He wrote uh, The Southern Gentleman's Guide. The Southern, mm, Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Hunting. Vampires. Uh, to, yeah, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying. Yeah. Um, and then he also wrote. Um, uh, he's written. I can, Final I can Girl. do this. Final Girl Support Group. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also written Paperbacks from Hell, which is about horror books themselves. Yeah. Uh, we sold our soul, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a rock band. It's like a Faustian. Um, there's another one as well. That's Names Escape Me, which is a very much on like it's based in hell, and I can't think what it's called. But hell's like a bureaucracy. Um, and he's got another book coming out soon, which I'm quite excited about, called um, How to Sell a Haunted House. Yes, and he also started a podcast in lockdown mm-hmm. uh, called like Haunted Homeschool or something along those something lines. Something along those lines. The reason why it's important to talk about him is because he is the reason initially why you were interested in watching this movie. Yes. So we have to fl- we have to rewind way before the podcast even started mm-hmm. um, because we saw this movie. I think about two months before the podcast started. It was when we had initial discussions of you had just started getting into Ice Nine Kittles and we were like, maybe we should like softball you and start putting you on. So we'd watch like Halloween H2O, Candyman, blah, blah, blah. And I think... I think, I think did we not double bill this with Ready or Not? No. So we watched Ready or Not back in like the April... Um, we we watched this after we'd been to see Salem on Halloween 2020. Yes, we did. We so came we come back. home from the gig and we were really wired from the gig. And we were like, I remember sitting in our front room with these like little fucking cheap plastic Halloween buckets uh, full of Chocolate candy. full of candy. Just watching this movie yeah. till like two o'clock in the morning. I remember actually, um, oh yeah, we literally got back from the Salem gig on Halloween. <laughs> but he was like the reason why you wanted to see this movie. Yes, because I love Grady Hendrix. And so I, I've i not got very far into um, My Best Friend's Exorcism, but he his style of writing is very much uh, like a very comedy, isn't it? It's like, yeah. And it's very like, 
it's kind of like I don't want to I don't want to like downplay his genius because he is a very intelligent writer, but it's very much kind of like that scary movie kind of it's like very tongue in cheek. Yeah, I'm yeah. poking fun at like all of the. the I think stuff. he's one of those authors that whenever anyone asks me, because I'll I'll go on, I'll, I can bang on about him for days, and everyone always say, "Well, what book would you recommend?" And I will, without a shadow of a doubt, every single time recommend. Uh, horror store yeah as like i'm like you need everybody at some point needs to read horror store especially if you live in a country with ikea i think they're worldwide yeah ikea is pretty much everywhere uh, because it feels like a the book itself is set out like an ikea catalog which is mm-hmm. hilarious in itself but it feel like reading it you could be like i could imagine this happening in an ikea store and like the thing is ikea is like inherently a terrifying place anyway mm-hmm. they have no windows and no clocks do you know why they don't have windows or clocks so you can't know the passage of time yeah, so you don't know how long you have been in there they that's why there's no windows or clocks yeah. in ikea which allegedly frankly, which is not true actually because in the southampton one in the restaurant there's a window there's windows across <coughs> the side of the building so you can look out while you eat but still, it's a pretty frightening thought yeah. that a company doesn't want you to to know how long you've been in their store. I think it also encourages you to buy more shit as well. And I think it also kind of plays into that fear like of like Dawn of the Dead or like Chopping Mall of like people trapped somewhere. Like, to be fair, I think in a zombie apocalypse, I'd be quite cool with being trapped inside an Ikea. I don't know, man. You could probably build an Ikea unit and hide in it. They're pretty robust. Hmm. Well, less that, because if you think there's well, there's a main entrance on the top floor and a main entrance on the bottom floor, that both that are quite easy to lock down. Mm-hmm. The only problem for me would be there would be no access to nicotine. Mm-hmm. But they have, like, booze. There's a shop on the lower floor. They've got hot dogs, meatballs. Yeah, I mean... Pop. Yeah. You'd, you'd keep me going and beds fucking galore. <laughs> but yeah. Sofas, TVs. <laughs> I think the thing with Grady Hendrix for me is he kind of reminds me of like, he has a touch of Kevin Williamson about him. Yes. Like his writing is very satirical, but his dialogue is very biting um, and very like humorous. Um, but I also, every time I think of like Horror Store, and it's a weird thing because I've never listened to the podcast. Every time I think of Horror Store, just the name of it and the idea of it just reminds me of Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah. For some, for some reason, it just In reminds me of something honesty, that those guys would do. It, it, now you said it, I've never thought of it, but it does feel kind of like something that would exist inside Night Vale. Yeah. Which, also, I realise not everyone has heard, but if you haven't, you should really go check out Welcome to Night Vale because <laughs> it's fucking genius. But, it's also- but it does feel very like Night Vale. It's also really interesting because we've seen authors in the past write screenplays for movies. Like mm. Stephen King has written sc- screenplays for movies, TV series is based on his work. Gillian uh, Flynn very famously did it with Gone Girl. She wrote the script for David mm. Fincher. And not always um, do, do authors translate, translate very over. well to screenwriting. Because yeah. right, like, let's be honest, fundamentally, if, if we're being facetious, writing is writing. Like, if you mm. can write one thing, you can pretty much write anything. Yeah. But it's it's the it's the, the different mediums. Like, mm. a written page and creating a story for someone to imagine in their own head is very different to putting something on a page. Yeah. And But I feel like... Uh, screen. What? Putting something on, on a screen. screen. Yeah. I feel like this is the first time, really, where I've actually seen an author... And maybe it's because they're not writing an adapted version of their work. Yeah, true. I've actually seen an author create something 
that feels authentically like them. Like, don't get me wrong, this is a Chelsea Stardust movie. I want to make that very clear. This is Chelsea Stardust's film. Mm-hmm. But there are so many moments in this where somebody will say something or a moment will happen where you're like, this was 100% written by Grady Hendrix. Like, yeah. you can tell. I mean, it was the second film he ever wrote, and he also wrote the previous film with Ted. Yeah, Mohawk in he, 2017. Yeah, Mohawk. But, I mean, he doesn't really... I mean, he's writing, obviously, my back... He's written... They are now going to be adapting multiple of his books. Yes. Four of them have been optioned. Yeah, because Horror Store, My Best Friend's Exorcism... Are being films. Are being films. And then Vampire the Slaying... And, and Final Girl Support Group. Yeah, Final Girl Support Group have been optioned for TV shows. Yeah, because uh, Charlize Theron is producing the Final Girl Support Group for HBO. Solid. Which be Solid. Cool. I'll be interesting to see what happens with those. Um, I'm always up for seeing anything Grady Hendrix has made, to yeah. be honest. And the thing is, like, you can tell he you can tell he loves horror, first and foremost. That is very evident in his work. Mm-hmm. But also you can tell that he has a very specific love for like seventies and eighties horror. Yeah. Because this movie is a love letter to like movies from the eighties and the seventies. Um it it has a touch of like race to, race uh with the devil to it, Rosemary's baby, um it has like uh, like other sort of like Fright Night a little bit of like that whole I'm living in a neighbourhood and The Burbs the, the Tom Hanks movie I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever seen that like I'm living in a neighbourhood where something's not quite right but even like contemporary movies even movies that have come out recently like it feels very much like Ty West's House of the Devil which is based on like a 70s cult film Yeah. but it also feels a lot like Ready or Not it feels like this and Ready or Not would be a perfect and they both came out in the same year. They came out literally even like two months of each other. Mm-hmm. But it feels like you could put both of those movies on and like double bill them. And there's a lot of like connective DNA between the two of them, um, which I really like. I like the idea that like it feels kind of like movies that I loved when I was a kid. Like there's there's like an 80 simp score. There's like someone in a neighborhood where like shit's going weird and they're the only person that knows the truth. And everybody else no doesn't know what's going on. This is kind of the movie that We Summon the Darkness should have been. Yes. Um, and it wasn't because We Summon the Darkness was not very good. Um, but it feels kind of like they where they missed the mark, this movie hit every like note perfectly. Yeah. Um and a large part of that is due to his script because the pacing of this movie is fucking excellent. Like the physical comedy the sight gags, the premise, the characters are all amazing. And, like, the combination of his script and Chelsea Stardust's direction um, give this thing, like, a sense of vibrancy about it, which is kind of missing from a lot of horror movies lately, like, especially stuff that we've watched recently. I compare it to Ready or Not because it has, to me, a lot of the same energy as Ready or Not. It does have a lot of the same energy. And, like, the central plot is very similar. Yeah. Although, Ready or Not, while being a horror comedy, leans a lot more into, into like, the horror. the horror aspect rather than the comedy aspect. Whereas this... This toes kind of, the balance yeah. so well. Um, so, the one thing that always gets me with this movie is that in my brain, for some, like, 
when we started watching it, I was really confused. Because in my brain, it's an Alexandra Daddario movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> the girl, the main character, the actress who plays Sam, looks a lot like Alexandra Daddario. Yes. Which is so odd to me. And the fact that she's in We Summon the Darkness. Yeah, and the fact well. that Ale- um, the Daddario is in We Summon the Darkness, which, yeah, is the fi- the film that... Which, this is the film that We Summon the Darkness should have been. Yeah. Um, but I love this film. I fell in love with it the first time we watched it. It was my pick for this month. Um, and it is it balances everything so well. And in such an un, unexpected way as well. Because you kind of go into it, like with most horror comedies, you're like, it's either going to be a comedy or it's going to be a horror. And you can never really find a film that has the balance perfect. Yeah. Whereas this film toes it so well. Like, there are scenes in this that are horrifically gory, yet are still phenomenally hilarious. Yeah. Like, the scene specifically when uh, Danica is ripping... um, What's his name? Samuels. Is it Samuel? Yeah. Yeah, is ripping, like, Samuel's heart, I think? Yeah, or his soul. Something out of him. And she's like, put, she's like, fing- he's basically shot himself in the neck, and she's like, got gets her fingers in, and she's like, got a whole hand going yeah. in, like through his throat, and it's gross, but yet wildly hilarious. Yeah, she goes like elbow deep, in elbow his, like, deep neck. It's fucking grim. Yeah, but it's the thing is though, is it's still funny. Yeah, like the thing I love about this movie is this movie is fucking batshit insane. Like, there are scenes in this movie where you're just like... It kind of feels a bit like a fucking parody, almost, at some mm. points. Um, like, the bit where she takes his life force or his soul or his whatever it is, an organ out of his body, and it's got, like, a purple glowing vein in it. And then she puts it in a fucking pot and turns oh, it into, like... she hands it off to Danielle yeah. and she's like... Right, would you say she's like, cut it down the middle, put in some thyme, salt, salt, some, dirt. salt bit of grave dirt. Yeah. And then she's like, and put it in a casserole dish and put it in for like 200 for yeah. two hours. And then she's like, but not my good casserole dish. Yeah. And she calls it a soul souffle and she like puts her finger in that. There's, a lot, of, there's, a, there's that a lot of fingering in this movie. And then she like possesses it to go and find her daughter no, she said to go find Sam. She's yeah. like, go find my virgin. Yeah. And it's flying around. Yeah. There's a scene where a woman's got a giant drill dildo in this movie <laughs> as well, which is also fucking weird. Also, um, great death. Yeah. It's just fucking balmy. It's so insane. But the thing is, as well, is this is the other thing this film does super good, is it's a horror comedy. And like I said, it toes the line really well. But for a film that's a horror comedy, there are legitimately some scenes in this that are super tense. Yeah. So the scene where Judy... um, Where... Oh, what is her name? The <clears throat> fucking useless one. Gypsy. <laughs> Gypsy is casting the spell yeah. on Judy. And they're in the kitchen. And she's, like, trying to scribble the protection sigils all over judy's mm-hmm. body as she's bleeding from the eyes she's got nails coming through her fingertips and her face she's spewing up worms and dirt yeah and then i think at one point she's like got rope in her mouth like yeah. pulling rope out and like that scene is legitimately tense mm-hmm. and so well acted 
And then this scene at the end as well, when they're strapped to the altar, mm-hmm. and you honestly are like, oh, fuck, no, they're actually going to die. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> A, the acting is phenomenal, but it's so, like, you, like, it's where I'll watch a horror comedy where, like, I'll actually get tense. I think the other one that did it to me was Happy, the first time I watched Happy Death Day was I got quite tense. Uh, weirdly enough, uh, also starring Ruby um, Modine. Um, but this film, it's just such a good film. Like, there's so many things I'm like, I could, I could be so much more verbose and actually say, you know, useful things. But my brain is going, it good, I like. I also love the fact <laughs> that the opening is a homage to Halloween as well. Yes, indeed. The, it just does it so much. And there's some quotable lines in this film. You go there a delivery boy. You come back a, a delivery, delivery man. man. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But we do have to talk about the acting <clears throat> in this film. Yeah. It's got a cast of actors that, apart from Rebecca Romain, before we'd watched this, I'd never really seen any of them in anything. Yeah, because we'd seen Ruby Modine in Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day 2, and that's it. Had we watched those before we watched this? I had for Death I Death. hadn't. I don't think I watched Happy Death Day until after this. Um, Jerry O'Connell from Scream Oh, Jerry Two O'Connell, yeah, and obviously. Sliders and all that other shit. That but I think that was it. It was just for me, it was Rebecca Romain and Jerry O'Connell. So I'd never really seen any of these actors before. And they all hold their own really fucking well. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of guys in this that I'd seen in other stuff, like AJ Bowen, who plays Duncan, is obviously in The Sacrament, which mm. we... Oh, I had seen about. The Sacrament, And yeah. he's in Your Next, which we'll be covering in a couple of weeks. Um, and then Jeff Phillips is in Lords of Salem, 31. Oh, I'd seen that because I've seen Lords of yeah, Salem Yeah, he's in... Um, he's going to be in the new monsters. Basically, he's like one of Bobby Z's guys. Bobby Z mm. puts him in all of his movies. Um... That's Rob Zombie. Anybody doesn't know. Bobby I just realised I was calling him Bobby Z because that's oh, what I Bobby always call Z. him. Um, he sounds like Joey Z from fucking Rock of Ages. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's like a few people in this that are like scattered about that I'd kind of seen in other stuff. Um, and obviously Rebecca Romaine is most famous for playing Mystique in the X-Men movies. Yeah? Yeah, in the original X-Men movies she uh, plays Mystique. Let's see, my brain goes Rebecca Romaine and then it immediately goes Librarians. Yeah. Which is a... <clears throat> What's his face show? Well, she was. She what was, is he called? What's his name? Uh, Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin. Well, she was a model, wasn't she? And then yes. obviously she got into acting. She her big break was as Mystique in the original X Men trilogy. Oh, you did not know that was Rebecca <laughs> And she was married to the John Stamos for a she while. She was married to the Stamos. And she's in like she's in a bunch of other stuff. Like, uh, it's interesting seeing her and like Jerry O'Connell act together because they're obviously married now, and he does not have favorable things to say about her in this movie. It's really just. It's really. It's it's weird. It's really weird when you see like a married couple or a couple in a movie together, and they're like at odds with each other because you're just like, how how weird is it as actors for you to go a wife and uh, to go a wife to go on a film set and be like, my wife is a fucking bitch whore. Like you know, what I mean, like that must be like so weird. Yeah. Um, especially like if you are not having a great time in your personal life, <laughs> it's just like free therapy. Uh, not to not to say that they aren't having a like. I mean, I mean, I don't know what their marriage is like, but they're both in Star Trek at the moment, which yeah. is pretty cool because she's in the new Star Trek show, Strange New Worlds. But yeah, as the lead character in this movie, she's fucking amazing. Yeah, her and Sam. See, the thing I lo- like, the thing I love about this movie is it's very female driven, 
Like, all of the main characters in this movie are, like, women. Yeah, because the main characters in this film, let's be honest, are really, it's Danica, Sam and Judy. Yeah. That's kind of your main three. And then I guess Gypsy is, like, the second yeah. tier lead. Yeah, like the second antagonist. Yeah. And then the rest of the cult. Yeah, and they're all women. Yeah, except fact, for the two dudes. everyone... No, I meant in, like, the lead position... Everyone Sam comes up against, really, except for the kid and Samuel, are all women. Yeah, because you've got the two crazy, like, college girls who live at the house. Um, that's... Uh, I can't think what the... The one of whom The young has... couples... The, one yeah. of the Cullens <laughs> turned couples' kids. The one of the, whom the, has the, the, the giant dildo. What? Drildo. Drildo. Or Kildo, she calls it. Oh, she calls it a Kildo, yeah. (coughs) That one's the babysitter. Yeah, and then you've got, like, Sam... Samaziel? Samaziel. Yeah, who's, like, a little girl. But, yeah, that's what I love about this movie. This movie has a lot of, like, female energy in it. And I think it's nice to see a horror movie where, like, all sides are, like... You've got a female protagonist and a female antagonist... Because you don't really get that a lot in horror movies. You kind of get one or the other. Mm. Um, so it's kind of interesting to kind of see that kind of... And it's like it's a weird thing. Like, I say this a lot because it's very rare that it kind of comes up in horror movies. Um, it comes up in Rob Zombie's movies quite a bit, which is an, a sentence in itself. But it's interesting, like, seeing female and female violence in a horror movie. Oh, yeah. Because um, that doesn't really happen. Um as I say, it happens in a few of Rob Zombie's movies, most notably The Devil's Rejects. Um, but it is interesting to kind of see that whole, like, female-on-female, female, like, violence and female-on-female, female, like, antagon- antagonisation. Yes. Um, and there's a really interesting thing about this movie. Like, um, it's weird to see Rebecca remain in a villain role uh, because she never really... <clears throat> there's a couple of scenes in this movie where she's like intimidating but she never truly seems evil um and i'm kind of like am i supposed to be rooting for her or against her and like there are scenes in this movie where people in the cult are supposed to be afraid of her but for most like i don't know if it's the way that it's written but she seems like her villain status is undermined a little bit in this movie oh yeah like until the end and you're like are they supposed to be afraid of her? If the cult aren't afraid of her, why, as the audience, should we, we be scared, scared for the protagonists? You know what I mean? Like, if these bunch of fucking idiots aren't afraid of her, then why should Sam be afraid of her? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it kind of un- it kind of underplays her, like, villainy a little bit. But then, obviously, you see, like the side of her towards the end of the movie which the i think thing is... is i think you're always supposed to be intimidated intimidated by her to a degree because obviously one of the first things we really learn about her character is that as far as we're aware up until we then meet judy later she killed <coughs> the frat guy and judy yeah like her own daughter and then she sheds no tears when her husband dies whatsoever mm-hmm. like we're supposed to be intimidated by her but also like it's a bunch of spoiled, rich Americans. Mm-hmm. And, like, as far as they're concerned, they're just like, we're in it for the Satanism. If you can't need, then get the fuck out of the way. The cult are essentially like a group of Karens. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. 
Uh, but no, I think Rebecca Romaine does a really good job of being intimidating while still being kind of lovable. Because mm-hmm. you're going to like, I hate her, but also she's really cool. I was like, bro, I'm never going to be mad at Rebecca Romaine. No, no one's ever going to be mad at Rebecca Romaine. She's gorgeous. <laughs> um, But no, and then obviously later on when we meet Judy properly, I think she's potentially my favourite character in this film. Yeah. Because she kind of starts out as like a bit of a, she's like, I'll hang around because I need you to basically help keep me safe, but I'm not really fussed. And by, by the end, she's legitimately like trying to protect Sam. Yeah. And I think it's a really nice character arc for her to a degree where she's just like, you know what, actually, I, I'm going to protect this girl. Also, the fastest dressing human in existence. Oh yeah, super quick at dressing. I'm still gutted she dies. Like, I wish she'd survived the film and like her and Sam went to Australia together. Are you shocked that she didn't do a heel turn? No. Because I kind of thought, I like the first time we saw this movie, I thought maybe she was going to do a heel turn and she was like in it with her mum the whole time. No. I never once questioned her at all. Purely because at the very beginning, she's just like, I want Zero to fucking do with you. You're so dumb. And it's not until they start bonding when they start drinking that I was like, actually, like, she's definitely going to stick by her. But I always, every time every time we watched it now, I've always hoped Judy survived. <laughs> and like the two of them just went to Australia together. I mean, she does go with Judy Jr., I guess, but it's not quite the <laughs> same. Fucking bunny. Fucking bunny. Mate, I'm... there is no way she's getting that bunny on a plane and through customs. You can fucking get a bunny, a passport. You can't take a bunny to Australia. Yeah, you can. It would completely fuck up the ecosystem. Hey, it's fucking bunnies in Australia, babe. Yeah, but they're Australian bunnies. You can take your you can take your pets on holiday with you. You just have to get like licenses for it. I'm sorry, what? Like we can take if we went on holiday, we can take our cats with us. Oh, I wouldn't want to do that. You have little kitty cat passports. They go through quarantine. The whole thing. Why would you do that? I don't know. Some people do. Like, I guess if you have an emotional support animal, then, like, fair oh, enough. Oh, emotional support animal's completely different. Yeah. Because they get on the plane with you. They don't go into but, like, quarantine. I couldn't imagine taking our cats to, like, fucking Germany with us. People do it all the time. Celebrities do it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I know people that have taken cats on tour. Like, I'm pretty sure Poppy takes her Sphinx cat on tour with her. And that fucking prick from Attila did it. He was offering meet and greets with his cat. I was like, he fucking... He also had a Sphinx cat. I don't know what it is with Rockstar's and Sphinx cats. Did I? Um, and I know that, like, some... Like, one of the guys from Asking Alexandra takes his dog on tour with him. Hmm. Fucking weird, man. Why not? I've got the money for it. Why the fuck not? I know, but, like, if your dog runs away in a foreign country... Oh, yeah, you're fucked, but... Yeah. But, yeah, so let's talk about uh, the summoning of Baphomet. Yeah. Do you know what's really funny about this movie is uh, they clearly run out of money. That's why they don't show him, I think. Well, you do, you do see him because he's the. I'm pretty sure he's the tree demon that tries to capture her. Oh, uh, yeah, true. Because someone is credited as playing Baphomet. Uh. Just, just putting it out there. <laughs> just putting it out there. I do think he's the tree demon y guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But to be fair, I love 
you know that the whole ritual is going to get fucked up the minute Gypsy dies. Because you see her yes. scratching the, the salt out of the way. Which I feel like she did deliberately. Oh yeah, she 100% did that on purpose. It's like her last act Because they, they make a big point of like... Zooming if in If the on circle her. gets broken, like unwanted visitors can get in. And then obviously, because of that, we get two fluffy bunnies and Samaziel. Who I fucking love. And you see earlier in the film as well. Do you? Yeah, so when they escape the house after the twin, the two girls die, um, as they're running away, Sam hears someone call her name and she turns around and there's a little girl sort of the balcony. That is Sam as Hang on, hang on a fucking second. Is she also not the kid that waves to her when she drives up to the house at the beginning? Like, yeah. Because there's that like random girl on the side of the road who just waves at her. Yeah, is that not Sam Aziel. Fuck me! You see her name, she's in the opening. She's the little girl playing hopscotch at the very beginning of the film. <sighs> Blow your mind, haven't you? Yeah, she's a little girl playing hopscotch I hadn't at the beginning even, of the I film. I hadn't even put those two things together in my, yeah. brain, in my mind. Little Sam is here. She's so adorable. Also, not a real demon. I double check. She was created for the film. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, because... A, also they refer to Baphomet as a prince of hell in this. Baphomet is not one of the seven princes of hell. No. Um, I, I feel like it's slightly on purpose that they've... Fucked that up. Fucked that up. Yeah, he's not even on the guest list. No, because there, there are seven princes of hell. Baphomet is not one of them. No. Um, I do know them, actually, but my brain has gone to mush. Seven princes of hell. One of them is Lucifer. It's Lucifer... Mammal, Asmodeus, Leviathan, Beelzebub, Satan, and Belphegor. Beelzebub, Lucifer, Asmodeus, Satanas. I think, actually, it's the seven princes that I chanted at the beginning of the ghost song. Wouldn't surprise me. What song is that? Uh, it's Year Zero. I'm going to look now. Beelzebub, Lucifer, Stephen, Jeremy... Baleel, Behemoth, Beelzebub, Asmodeus, Satanus, Lucifer. So it's six of the seven princes. And then Papa's like, I am here. Who are they missing? Dave. Yes, they're missing Dave. Babe. That's exactly <laughs> who they're missing. Uh, Mamon. They're not... Mamon's not on there. Mamon? Mamon. Mamon? Mamon. Shout out to Mamon. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, instead of it being... Uh... Belphegor, they've got Baliel, who's the other, um, the alternate name for the Prince of Hell that represents Sloth. Also, Belphegor is a sick black male band. Mm. He is the, he, he represents Sloth. Uh, they, they obviously mentioned the extreme British metal band and now Nafrak in this movie as well. Yep. Uh, because the chant that they do when they are doing the voodoo ritual is from John Borman's Excalibur. Well, it's really funny, actually, because there's a line in this movie when um, Samuel says to Sam, they're going to um, summon Baphomet. And uh, Sam turns around and she's like, the Met of the band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then later he's like, they, he's going to rip you open and be born from you. And she's like, yeah, I've seen the album cover. <laughs> just like... <laughs> I love the fact that in my head, like, because you don't really ever really address what kind of person Sam really is. Like, she's just kind of a pizza delivery girl. She's quite innocent. Um, but, like, in my head, she's, like, a metal fan, obviously. 
Also, that could be referencing like so many. Yeah, different like so albums. many different male albums. Like my brain when she said it was like, that's got to be a Cannibal Corpse album cover, right? Uh, yeah. Also, um, World Needs a Hero by Megadeth. Yeah. Dave Mustaine's Lion on the Floor and Vic Rattlehead bursts out of his chest. Um, I don't think there is a Cannibal Corpse album cover because, like, in my head, I'm thinking like Tomb of the Mutilated, Gallery of Suicide, uh, Spawn, uh, The Wretched Spawn, or Butchered at Birth would be like the four that would come to mind of potentially what they would be. Because obviously, Tomb of the Mutilated has got the two fucking zombies, like, it's got the one zombie going down on the other zombie. Mm. Butchered at Birth has got the two skeletons, the dead woman and the baby fetus. Uh, Wretched Spawn has got like some fucking hideous thing coming out of a woman's vagina on it and then um, what was the other one I said? I don't know but... Gallery of Suicide but that's just got like a bunch of people killing themselves um, it, it doesn't look like there's a Baphomet cover that looks like that so, yeah I mean... so she may have just been referencing like a generic album cover it, yeah it could be any album any uh, black metal album cover yeah but like literally the first one that I thought of was the Megadeth one purely yeah. because I was listening to that Megadeth record earlier so it was like fresh yeah. head yeah, but no, yeah, I don't no, think it's I'm any just of the ones. I'm just literally just scrolling through Baphomet's album covers now, like, do any of these look familiar? No. Um, so it's none of the Baphomet album Also, covers. Baphomet's head is part of the uh, Venom logo as well. It is. That is true. Which is cool. Venom's also another cool band. Um, also, like, I love that basically in any movie now with Satanism, um, Baphomet is the one being worshipped, because obviously he's like the iconography for... The Temple of Satan. Is he like the Levian Satan? Is he like the fucking well. mainstream guy? Is he the mainstream? So the thing is, is that, like they make plush toys. I'm of the not fucking entirely dude. sure where Baphomet came from because, as far as I remember, demon-wise, I don't think he's actually a recognised demon. No, I think he's kind of one of those. He got mentioned like 200 years ago in like a letter. Mm-hmm. Of like somebody had obviously thought they heard a demonic ritual and that was the name that they heard and he has now become like the iconography for everything. He is the goat headed guy. Yeah. With the goat legs and the chest of a human with boobs. Like I'm pretty sure there's a Dimu I think it's in Sorte Diabla, the Dimu Borger album that has him on the front. Yeah. In that like looking like that. Well he is also um, for anyone who follows the news, he's the statue that this temple of um, this type temple created to mm-hmm. get placed in Texas. Yeah. Of him with the two children. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's the temple that just got fucking tried to get burnt down yeah. by some dude. And also, he's like the main iconography of Levianism. So he's like the go-to like. If you're also of a certain persuasion and you shop at Black Craft Cult Clothing or fucking. What's the other company? Blackcraft, Colt, and the one I, the one that we buy the fucking Killstar. Clothing. Killstar. He's on all of that fucking clothing. Yeah, you can get little plushy like, versions Kill, Killstar of make him. a fucking mint off of his image. I've got about 20 different statues of him saved down in my shopping basket. <laughs> I've just got a shopping basket that's full of like weird um, they do statues. The, they do the t-shirts with the little... I can't remember the type of cartoon it is, but you know like the fucking... The little chippy. The little cartoons that fucking... The little chippy ones. Ghostmane uses in his videos. Of, like, oh, the like the, the and vintage, like, yeah. like... They do versions of him on t-shirts and shit like that. Yeah. He's become, like, the fucking... The mainstream Satan, which is yeah. really weird. Which is... people will also be like, oh, look, it's like it's like Satan. And I'm like, but it's, it's, it's not yeah, the he gets, back of it. He gets confused with Satan quite a lot. People <laughs> yeah. think he is Satan. He's not. But Satan's I think... super sexy, just to be clear. Also, Satan's super sexy. Also, depending on which fictional version of Satan... 
you think about. Also, technically, are we talking about Satan or are we talking about Lucifer? Because two different, Satan. Two different things. He he is the reverse of what Satan is. Because there are versions of Satan where Satan has like a human torso and goat legs. Whereas he's the other way around. He's no. got... He's got a goat head, human torso, goat legs. Yeah, whereas Satan's got like just the goat legs and like in some versions he's got the goat legs and then like a human torso, depending on like which fictional version. Yeah, but it's the same. He looks the same as Baphomet. But he doesn't have a goat face, Satan. Sometimes, like like, little fucking like a ram's Hmm. horns. And then Um, Lucifer's just that like sexy angel. He's all like. So the thing is, though, there seems to be like this weird like mix up somewhere in like the iconography of so Lucifer is the king of hell. Satan is like the fourth prince of hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of them, to be fair, are all ne- different names. If you if you ever get your hands on a Levian yeah. Satanic Bible, in the back it lists all of the names of Satan. Also, all of them are names for Satan. So like Abaddon and everything are um, all names for Satan. One of the ones you didn't mention, Payman, is one of the kings of hell. One of the kings. I was on about the princes. I was going to say, because Payman is one of the eight or seven kings of hell. Yes, the seven princes, and he's he's like a handsome dude that apparently like rides a camel and shit. Because uh, he's, he's be- they 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 are they... part bird, part camel, part human. Because Payman has appeared to people like riding a camel, and he's they are meant to have quite a like an attractive face. Um, but they have become another one that has become a bit mainstream. I think after Hereditary came out, and Ariaster used them. For, like, the main, I guess, villain in Hereditary, they have become, like, another thing that is, like, in popular culture again. Yeah, I'm just having a look now. Because the problem is, is it's completely dependent on which version you're looking at. So the Seven Princes are part of the Lantern of the Light, mm-hmm. which is um, a thing created by John Wycliffe. And then, Wycliffe John. <laughs> Wycliffe John. <laughs> Uh, I think Payman falls into the Agrippa classification, mm-hmm. and he is part of. Let me double check the four princes. So it's Arenas, Payman, Egan, and and Maimon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Cause, yeah. There's there's, there's all the. Because Payman is like a grant. He's a trick. They are a trickster, but they are also a granter of wishes. Yep. Like you can summon them, um, and it, it, when they appear to you. You will tell them what you desire or what you think you deserve, and they will grant it for you allegedly, which is definitely a hundred percent not in that fucking movie. Um, but yeah, like this is the thing as well. So getting back to Baphomet, because I feel like we've spent a lot of time doing like fucking sat- Satanism one hundred and one. What is the end game? Like, what is his powers? Like, what would be the end game of summoning him? Like, what would you grant from summoning him? I don't really know. Because Baphomet isn't mentioned in any of, like, the original stories of, like, Demons. I don't think he's even in, um... I can't remember the book. It's it's something Demonus. It's, like, the, the book of demons. I don't... Like, as far as I am aware, categorically, he's not technically in the rungs of demons at all yeah and um, so we don't really know because this is the thing because there's no text really that talks about him i don't really know what baphomet's powers are supposed to be mm-hmm. like i know <clears throat> the iconography is used everywhere but like even satanism like satanists they don't actually worship baphomet baphomet kind of became an icon to like give them something yeah but 
And I want to be very clear for anyone who doesn't actually know anything about Satanism. Satanists don't actually worship Baphomet. They don't actually worship. They Satan actually worship either. shit all. They worship themselves. It's yeah. A joyous set of religion. The religious fucking tenets of Satanism are amazing. Um, but yes, yeah, so they don't actually worship him. So I don't think Baphomet actually has any kind of powers. Because yeah. he's not in the classification of demons. Because so... essentially, he's used in this movie like a fucking genie. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, um, he's not actually in the classification of demons at all. Yeah. It originated in the 14th century and it was worshipped by the Knights of Templar, allegedly. But he's not actually mentioned in any of the... um, Books of Demons. So, yeah. fuck knows. <laughs> I think it's one of those things, like, he's he's worshipped much in the same way of, like, uh, you look at, like, um, Levian Satanism, like, you, you perform rituals in order to... It's kind of... Level up. It's not level up, so you, you perform rituals, and it's kind of asking the universe to grant you something and you perform a ritual mm-hmm. to try and like help it along. But I always find it quite strange because I, I always sit more with the tenets of the temple of Satanism. Um, but it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not, it is a religion. It's viewed as a religion. It is classified as a religion, but it isn't a religion in which in, in such a case if we don't, you don't actually worship anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, no, but yeah, to answer your original question before I got sidetracked again with Satanism, um, Baphomet, no, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so. I can't help but feeling like if they just fucking backmaster records, they would have had like way more success. Probably. Like in Lords of Salem. Probably. But yeah, there you go. S- sad news for you, uh, Baphomet does not have any powers because technically he's an icon, he's an icon, not an actual demon. Yeah. Um, that's Soz, it, guys. No, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's just like an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because like they, like with these movies, like a lot of these movies, like as I said, I mentioned Hereditary because obviously fucking Payman is like the mm. big thing in Hereditary. Um, and I think uh, Payman doesn't have the bird face, by the way. I double checked. He's meant to be handsome. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, like he's not the fucking point. But it's always it's always it's always tricky with these fucking movies, mm. like. I know Ariaster said that he did a lot of research and then obviously a lot of people still called bullshit on the movie from like the way he used <clears throat> things like that. And I think because we don't because the Western world doesn't view Satanism the way that it views Christianity or like a Judaism yeah. or like um what's the other religion I'm trying to think of? Hindu, Sikh, Hindus, Muslim, Muslims, Sikhs, things like that. They don't view it in the same way. They are more, unlike Catholicism, they are more structured, widely accepted, like, mainstream religions. And I guess Satanism in the last 20 to 30 years has become more mainstream viewed to its, like, uh, association with, like, celebrities, rock stars, like, and, like, images in films and things like that. And I think when you research things like this, it's like when you make a movie about Christianity, like, when you make a movie about the Passion of Christ, for example... You have to do your shit. Yeah. But the thing is, in this movie, like you said, there's no real end game. Like no. movies with like satanic cults, there is no real end game because no- there is nothing. You're not. 
it's a weird religion because you're asking for something to be summoned that essentially you don't believe in. Because as we covered, Satanists don't believe in anything. They are like, there are no gods, there are no masters. Each man is his own island. Yeah. So, and as as it says, I think in the Satanic Bible, any man that worships God is a fool. Any man that worships the devil is a fool. So I've always, it's always struck me as really interesting that you have these movies of Satanic cults where they're trying to resurrect a demon or a Satanic like mm. entity, but what is the end game? Because you don't believe in anything. Mm. So it's it's such a strange, and I, I, I'm always surprised that they don't come under more criticism for that. I feel like with. Because the thing is, is a, a um, Grady Hendrix has written quite a lot of books involving Satan. Satan Loves You. That's the book I couldn't remember, by the way. And I, I, as, I, I feel like he has done his research. Oh, yeah. And, like, may have been involved at some point. I don't actually know, but he seems like the kind of guy who probably <laughs> he's got a pewter, He's got a pewter game. ring in a box under his bed from a time when he was a different person. <laughs> yeah. But, like... The, thing, the great thing with using Satanism in things like this is that there are easily... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? So many different variations of Satanism. Dependent on what you believe, whether you fall into the Leviathan side or the, um, the Leviathan, no? The Leviathanism. <laughs> or if you go, like, it's the... Uh, Church of Satan, the Temple of Satan, like there's different subsets. Yeah. Um, but also, like there are people out there who, even with all the widely like like you can go and online and Google it, will still be like, "Well, I worship Satan, and Satan gifts me things." And I'm like, "Oh, I, I also." But there are still people mm. out there who believe very much in that yeah. way, and I mean, if that's what you believe in, if you want to, I mean, don't be human sacrificing, but I think it, like, they reference themselves in this, they refer to themselves as, like, witches, because, mm-hmm. um, in this, Baphomet is the god of, like, the demonic god of witches. Yeah. Uh, they literally just threw a name at it and went, fuck it. I also think, and I, I don't want to be controversial when I say this, so I'm trying not to be controversial when I say it, but I'm trying to make a point. I think, also, the movie is called Satanic Panic, and, yeah. like... It's what people think yeah. Satanism is. And I think I think the thing with like cults in movies is generally speaking, they are always vague enough that the just the idea of them existing is frightening to people, so they don't necessarily have to dive into it. Like having a movie about a cult or Satan is inherently frightening to people. In the same way that in the eighties, early nineties and then post nine eleven, if you had an action movie with like someone who was Eastern European or looked Asian as the villain, regardless of where they were from, because of, like, in the 80s, the the Cold War, you had a lot of Soviet villains in, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, and then post-9-11, you had a lot of terrorist sects that were very vague, but they were playing on the fears. So they were playing on people's xenophobia of, like, Asian people or, like, yeah. European people. And I think that is kind of the same way that Satanism is used in films is it's never meant to be taken seriously, but they know that people are still afraid of these things. Like, Stranger Things Season 4 is a prime example of this. Yes. Um, If you haven't seen it, I won't go too much into it, but there is a whole plot line about satanic panic in the new season of Stranger Things, and it's handled incredibly well, because people are still afraid... 
like people are still afraid of like metalheads or people that are yeah. gothic because they stay they genuinely they have that they have that association in their so head of like what always makes me laugh as well is obviously with the title of this film being what it is and with the witch hunts of the 80s of satanic panic and the 70s as well and the 70s but funnily enough obviously throughout the years we've heard of like people dying during exorcisms you know other religious sects killing off their members Whatever's happening with Catholicism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you know that there has never, ever, ever once actually been a confirmed killing that has been attributed to a satanic ritualised killing? Mm -hmm. Ever. Do you know what? Actually, now that you've mentioned this, this is a really good time to mention this. The three guys, the West Memphis Three, are back up in court again. Oh, are they? Yeah, I saw something fairly recently. They are not being reinvestigated, but they're like... There was something in the news about them recently, and that is a prime example of what we were saying about like yeah. satanic panic and like people looking a certain way and people having a preconceived notion of like holy fuck, this person's like dangerous or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've had it. Yeah, I was worried. I, I I tell you what, if I had a pound for every time someone stopped to stare at my jumper today, because <laughs> I I have a jumper that I bought recently that says Satan loves kids on it. Oh no, kids love Satan, kids sorry. Love Satan. And it's got like a drawing that looks like it it's is from... a bunch of kids jumping yeah. dancing around a cauldron with, with Satan like de- with like it. demons and shit. And yeah. it's really funny. Like to me it's hilarious. The but is, I is... always think that other people don't necessarily get the joke. Yeah, and the thing is is like we have uh, they I'm gonna say unfortunately, like because of the way we look and the piercings and tattoos and Normally we are wearing, in like you're normally wearing a creepy as fuck t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I'm normally a bit more zanely dressed. But we've had people like in shops before like move their kids out of aisles we're walking through. Yeah. And like we don't look intimidating. I look like I look like a teenage boy who stumbled out of his bedroom it, at like, three in the morning. It is a strange. <laughs> it is a strange feeling, but yeah, you know, I think it kind of says more about other people than. Oh it does yeah, definitely. Us. But yeah, like we really got sidetracked talking about this movie, but. Um, yeah, I think for me, like, this movie is a prime example of its title. It does kind of very much feel like it plays into those fears. Oh, I like the fucking hilarious thing about this as well. I find this really funny as well. Like, as a a, side note to what we said is like, everybody thinks that like metal kids or like goths are inherently evil. But actually, a lot of the time in these movies, it's the rich and powerful. Oh, yeah. They're actually portrayed as like... Like Runaways is a prime example, the TV, the Marvel yes. show, um, which is kind of this is there's a little bit of that vibe in this. Yes, and then obviously fucking uh, Ready or Not. Yeah, uh, which is Steve Rich. Yeah, it's it's fucking insane that it's like always the fucking rich people that would, oh yeah they would look down on you. Eat like, the rich man, eat yeah. the rich. But it's like it's fucking out there. It's fucking balmy, man. I'd love to know how many of these like rich Hollywood types are actually like members of this. Tandem. I think my favourite thing though is whenever we go anywhere because my dress sense in comparison to you is quite toned down. Especially now, the older I've got, I've toned my wardrobe down quite a lot. If we were ever to go out, like I feel like if we weren't stood next to each other, mine would be the aisle they would move into now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, out of the two of us, one of us is a Satanist, and it's not you. <laughs> And I'm the more sanely dressed one. I just got in jeans and, like, a band (laughs) t-shirt. Like, I tried Satanism when I was younger. Like, for those of you that don't know that are long-time listeners, I went to a Church of England school and I fucking hated it. Um, And, like, 
I think around about 2001, 2002, I kind of looked at... When I started getting into, like, more bands that talked about it in, like, interviews and stuff, yeah. like, bands like Cradle of Filth and stuff like that, that, like, talked about it expressly. And I remember, I think, um, there was a piece in Kerrang! magazine about it. And um, I tried it, but then I was like, I've always... Like, as much as it's not about, like we said, worshipping things, I just really have kind of like an an allergy to any and all religion. Yeah. Like I can't imagine ever following any kind of religion, even one that I have strong belief in. Yeah, see it was always like I was raised with no religion really, but my family are all Catholic. Um and I did go to church as a kid. I tried it again as a teen as well. Like I did I tried to go back and believe in it, but I just couldn't go with it. And I think Satanism was the first time I found something that I was like, it makes sense. Like, oh, it yeah. just makes sense. And I'm like, if I... Uh, it's kind of like being... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not agnostic. Oh, uh, an atheist. Atheist. Yeah. Because I don't really believe in anything. Mm-hmm. But I do try to live my life by the tenets of Satanism. Mm-hmm. Because I agree with it. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with it far more than I will ever agree with any other religious text. It's really weird, though, for, like, me, because I, I will never... I don't think I will ever follow any religion. Mm. Like, I str- there are a lot of things that Satanism writes about and talks about that I strongly agree with. Mm. Um, and if I was going to follow any religion, it would be that. But, like, the thing is, for someone that isn't into religion, like, I like religious text. Mm. Like, I love... Mate, um, the like, Old Testament is... Fucking badass. Is it the Old Testament where he's like really raffy and just Yeah, God's just everybody. like fucking killing people left, right, right. Is that the one that's got the story of Moses in it? Yeah, it's got the like story of Moses. Like it's got. That's um, cool. I love that shit. The. Oh, um, David and Goliath. Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. It's got. Oh, fuck. What are the two brothers called? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel's in the Old Testament. The plagues of Egypt. Um. But yeah, like I've always been like really interested in demonology and stuff. Like mm. demonology, I find fascinating, and like the whole the whole spiritual side of things of like ghosts and demons and stuff like that, and all that kind of stuff is really really fucking cool. Yeah, like I'm with you on this. Though. Like I find religious texts really interesting. I find demonology really interesting, and I also find what I find very interesting is looking across all the different religions that exist, especially when you take into account like uh, Hinduism and like Sikhism and stuff like that. But if you look at ones that kind of follow the same story, so like the Bible or their own version of the biblical text, mm-hmm. there are so many different versions within that of the story of like the fall of Lucifer or the fall of, fall of Samael um, and becoming Lucifer and like the different versions of Satan that exist out there is really interesting. I realise all of you are just sat there going, fucking weirdo, man. <laughs> but yeah, I, I honestly fucking love a religious text. Because I'm always, I, I find myself massively interested in what other people believe. And I always remember I used to sit next to um, Forhad, who I used to work with, was Muslim. And I remember one day, he'd, we were talking about religion for some ungodly reason at work. And I'd mentioned, I, like, I was like, I, I follow Satanism to a degree. And I was, I'd kind of said it and then went, oh shit, I'm at work. And I'll always remember Forhad was like, well, Satanism took me through it, and then sat and explained um, his religion to me and like his views on stuff. And I think that's far more constructive than uh, a guy shouting at me in the middle of town centre mm. about how Jesus died for my sins. 
and Satan's coming to get me. Oh, that sandwich board. That sandwich board man. Every week, he's always... He's there. And every week... And there will always be one dude. I hear him every time. If he'll be like, Jesus died for your sins. Like, turn from Satan, blah, blah, blah. And you always hear one voice from somewhere in town going, Hail Satan! And I'm like, there's my people. I just... I can't... I can't do with people spouting religious views in my face. I'd rather have a constructive conversation with them. Yeah. But, yeah, so... Yeah, we went massively off topic. We ended up just talking about Satanism. Sorry, guys. This movie is really fun, guys. It's super fun. Um, I think it's one of those things. This is the the point of why we originally started making this podcast was kind of to have the conversations that we had anyway around films, and this is the exact conversation that would have been sparked yeah. from this movie anyway. Yeah. Um, also, shout out to Chelsea Stardust for putting an orgy scene in this movie uh, set to Chelsea Wolf. Uh, yes. The song Scrape by Chelsea Wolfe appears in this movie. Uh, there are a lot of naked people in this movie. Yeah. Some are wearing strange masks. Some are not. Uh, some are very, very naked. There some are, are not. There are a lot of boobs and bums. and uh, I, think I don't think you see a dick. Uh, you do. There's you so see you, a dick. When okay. they all fall down at the end, the, pan, the camera pans and there's like a ball sack and a penis hanging out. Thank you, Chelsea. Um, so... Justice for dicks in do you know what, Do you know what I've just realised? Chelsea Wolf follows... Uh, Chelsea's Stardust follows us on Instagram. So there's a high likelihood that she will read this... Uh, listen to this episode. And I feel like I'm going to find myself apologising. Much like I did in the Tragedy Girls episode. For the I, co- love, I love how you're like, she might listen to us. I'm like, probably not. <laughs> Although Josh uh, Rubin did. So. Yeah, I mean, she might do. Um, but yeah, I mean... I can only apologise for what we turned a discussion into your movie about. Uh, at least I didn't go off the rails and start offering <laughs> fucking Meg Ryan's son a hand job at a club like I did last episode. Um, Do you know what? After I posted that thing on Tumblr, the next thing that I posted was fucking Jack Wade. <laughs> I just posted a fucking series of images of Jack Wade. Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, Satanic Panic. This is one of those movies I don't hear people talking about enough. And I feel like more people should discover this movie. More people should watch this movie. If you have Amazon Prime, it is currently on Amazon Prime. Or however, you can get a sick Arrow video Blu-ray of it, which is what we have. Uh, We have the Arrow Blu-ray collector's edition of this movie. Oh, I went and spent my actual money on it. Uh, We picked up on a sale. Uh, I yes, think. we did. We picked up the HWB sale, but I went and spent actual money on something that I can watch on streaming, which rarely happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie's fucking great. It's wild. It's a really weird, wild throwback that feels contemporary and it feels fresh, but it also feels like a throwback to like, like an 80s the movie. greatest era of like yeah. horror ever. It's um, a cracking, absolutely cracking film. Do you want to do final thoughts before we end up on um, yes. on a tangent again? Uh, I love this movie. Uh, I think Grady Hendrix's script is one of the best scripts I've seen come to life in modern horror in recent years. I think the man should write more scripts, but if it takes away from him writing books, then maybe put that on the back burner and keep writing books because your books are dope. Um, I want to see more work from Chelsea Stardust. Yes. I think she has a great eye. Um, and I think given if she takes up screenwriting herself, I feel like her work will be very similar to this. If she doesn't, I hope she continues working with people like... Um, Grady. Grady Hendrix. Or maybe if she directed a Josh Rubin script, that would oh, be pretty cool as well. that would be good. Um, so yeah, I feel like she has a really promising career ahead of her. She has a very keen eye and very good uh, awareness of the types of films that she is making. Um, and I want to see her break out in a big bad way. 
Um, this movie is really fun. It's really entertaining. The cast are all up for it because there's some mad shit that happens in this movie, and you kind of have to be up for it if yeah. you're if, if you're going to make a movie of this type. Um, I don't know if we'd ever get a sequel, but then I don't really know. I don't really necessarily think we we need a sequel. I think this movie stands alone on its own. Um, I think more people need to check it out. Um, and I'm going to give it like a 15 out of five. Like this movie, like is fucking. This movie is fucking great. That's fair. And I 15 love it out of five so much. Um, I am with Simon on most of this. I think Chelsea's direction is fucking magnificent. Uh, she does such a good job of just doing the whole thing. I mean, I'm not really the director talker out of this. It's much more Simon's <laughs> area of expertise. But I like the way the film looks. I think it looks very good. Uh, especially the satanic ritual scene at the end. Mm-hmm. The way that is shot is fucking <laughs> immense. And also the the final scene where Samuel's ch- like when she starts running through all of the bodies dying as um Samuel laughs hysterically, weird kid. Um, the script is great, but I mean it was Grady Hendrix, so I was never really gonna have a bad word to say about it. The acting is top notch. Um, I feel like casting the girl they did cast to play Sam was a better call because as much as I joked at the beginning of this that I always think it's Alexandra Daddario um, as much as I do like her as an actress I feel like this would have been mm, slightly more campy in her hands um, but it does it feels like a very contemporary film but it also feels like a B movie at the same time which yeah. I, I love um, rating wise I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it uh, I, I feel like I can't also give it like an overscore of a five <laughs> Um, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5 just because I feel like I can't also say 15 because that's not in our scoring matrix, yeah. Simon. Yeah, it would be a 5. 5 out of 5. But then I'd watch it again and score it a 5 and then I'd watch it again and score it a 5 <laughs> so it would get it to 15. If I score it 10 for both times I've watched it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's our thoughts on Satanic Panic, guys. Have you seen it? Have you not seen it? Uh, you definitely should watch it because it's metal as fuck. Um... Join us next week as we will be talking about our final movie in our Horror Comedies Month. We For episode 80, we will be looking at Jennifer's Body. Um, so that will be next Monday's episode and then we'll be moving on to July. As always, thank you for the continued support. Uh, follow us on social media, S-I-M-A-H-F-Pod. Uh, so I'm Aaron Horror Fan, all lowercase, all one word. And also, quick shout out, our boys at Cast Me To Hell podcast have just returned with a brand new episode today for the first time in three months so please welcome them back to the horror space as well go over listen to episodes continue to support those guys and uh, yeah as always i've been simon i've been lee stay spooky stay safe take care of yourselves guys speak to you later bye bye